Welcome to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. A little unusual, we're doing an audio session today with Dr. Chris Keel, who is a noted economist and is also the individual who puts together the Credit Managers Index Report for the National Association of Credit Managers at NACM.org. Also on the show is Lou Weiss, who is president of All Metals and Forge Group, a company that manufactures open die forgings and seamless rolled rings. So, Lou, I'll let you get in the first word because Chris will get in the last. Well, uh, you don't quite look the same, Chris, uh, without the video, but uh, you sound <laughs> just like yourself. Uh, and very I, I love very good. I love your chuckle, and I, I hope that you can add some humor to the show. The problem with doing this show is that the numbers are so good that we just don't have a lot to talk about. So why don't why not why don't we just let you jump? I mean, I, I see numbers like seventy three, sixty nine, sixty three, and so on and so forth. And then, of course, the um, numbers that uh, should be going down are are, are doing exactly that. So, uh, Chris, why don't you just jump in and take it away? Very good. Well, I'll explain again for those who are not all that familiar with the credit managers and that's where all this data comes from. Most of your listeners, watchers, viewers, people who are getting it through satellites in their teeth, who knows, they know that the purchasing managers index was kind of the granddaddy of a lot of these surveys, that everyone really liked the way that that index was structured. They've gotten used to it. They know that anything over 50 means expansion, anything under 50 means contraction. The credit managers index uses the same diffusion index, the same setup, and really structures it just like the purchasing managers. We ask the credit managers very simple, less or more or the same questions. So we'll ask, for example, are there more or less sales? Are there more or less accounts out for collection? Are there more or less bankruptcies? So we don't get into the specifics of how much more or how much less. We're comparing it really from month to month. And as you mentioned, the numbers are really solid. There was some decline in the months prior to this. If you looked at June and July, they were still very high. I mean, we still had numbers that were in the 70s and the 60s in an index or anything over 50 is good. But they had come down just a little. They began to bounce back again this month. The thing to remember about the credit managers and the credit managers index is that it tends to be future-oriented. The credit manager is not really concerned about your business today. Their mantra is, it's not a sale until we're paid. So they have a tendency to look down the road. When they issue credit, when they give you terms, they're anticipating that they're going to get paid in 90 days, 120 days, 180 days, whatever terms they gave you. So when you end up looking at their index, you sort of have to realize that what they're saying today is what they think they're going to see in October and November and the beginning of next year. So a lot of the ferment that we've seen in the last month or so and a lot of other data is not being picked up by the credit managers. They are still anticipating a good year. They're still looking at new orders coming in. They're looking at 
the fact that we're coming up on the holiday retail season and that generally drives a lot of business. So their optimism is basically saying, yeah, end of summer, we have the Delta variant, we're worried about some of the economic information that we're getting. We, as credit managers, are focused on the end of the year, fourth quarter, and there's still an expectation that things are going to be good. You look at today's job numbers, for example, that's a reflection of the fact that businesses are not so much hiring more than they were. They're just actually getting people who want jobs. I mean, these jobs have been on offer for the duration of the summer. We've had 90-plus million job openings. We're just now getting people who want to take them, and that's pushing more more energy towards the end of the year. So long and short of it, the numbers are really good. They're reflecting what we think is going to happen in anywhere from three months to six months. And as long as the credit managers are in a good mood, they offer people credit. When they're not in a good mood, they don't. Well, it's interesting you you mentioned that because one of the things that I noticed based on uh, your report is that new credit applications, which jumped to 69.8 for July, was the mm-hmm. highest number in a year. <clears throat> right. Uh, I mean, that, that means there are people who are looking to place orders and they're looking to get their credit applications accepted either now or in the near future because they're going to be placing more orders. Would you Absolutely. agree with that? Yeah, that's exactly what's taking place because you twin that up with the comment about rejections of credit apps. I mean, we'll periodically get a lot of applications from companies that are desperate and and they're hoping that somebody will give them credit, in which case the credit managers are like, well, we don't want these kind of applications, and the rejections Mm -hmm. number would go up. This time, the rejections number is good. They are not rejecting these new applications, and they're extending a lot of credit. So they're not getting small requests. They're getting – we've seen the capital expenditure numbers do really well in manufacturing. And another index that I run for the Fabricators and Manufacturers Association was showing that capital spending plans were were solid all through the year. Everyone was thinking in terms of I've got to buy new machines, I have all this demand to keep up with, and – the the small job shops, which is who we measure in that index, we're all talking about increasing their their activity. One potential fly in the ointment, and everyone is kind of dully aware of this, one of the motivations for companies to do capital spending now is fear of inflation. People think the prices are going to get higher, and when you think prices are going to get higher, your natural reaction is, well, I better buy it now. Because if I wait, it's going to be more expensive. So I'm going to go ahead and bite the bullet early, which, of course, makes sure that inflation happens because you're now adding to that demand. There's an awful lot of of inventory hoarding going on right now. There may be people in this listening audience that are doing that. I mean, the polite way of saying this is people are stockpiling. The impolite way is to say, no, they're hoarding. Um, You're doing the business version of, like, oh, my God, there's a crisis. I don't want to run out of toilet paper. I'm going to buy 700,000 rolls. I'm going to create an entirely new – yeah, it's like 
okay, we're not quite at the toilet paper hoarding level, but there's evidence that companies are like, hey, I'm, I'm going to buy a little extra just in case. Uh, that was a great analogy, and uh, the likelihood of what you're talking about hoarding is probably going to be going on. Uh, I did notice also on your report, uh, not to bring up the negative, but the filings for bankruptcies over the last three right. months have really increased. So are we effectively talking about two different segments of the uh, the industry that you're analyzing? Because every other number is great, but the bankruptcies are not so great. So yep, are they in sort right. of a different world? Yep, we've been dealing with this really all year because this recession was such a focused recession on that service sector. And if you look at where the bankruptcies are, they're almost exclusively in things like retail and hospitality and travel-related, entertainment-related. Very few bankruptcies showing up on the manufacturing side unless your target is that other sector. I mean, if you're a manufacturer that is servicing the hotel industry. I mean, just an example. I was talking to a group that I periodically speak to. They manufacture commercial washing machines, which are predominantly owned and sold to hotels. And they have seen a great deal of distress in their industry because the hotels aren't buying them. You know, the hotels have been right. in some respect shut down. So. If you're in those sectors that have been affected, the the government support is finally running out. And as it runs out, then companies are suddenly like, well, you know, I, I'm going to bite the bullet and give it up. The other thing to be aware of, though, which is kind of ameliorates things a little bit, is that in the restaurant business and even in a lot of the hospitality business, going in and out of business is pretty common. When things are bad, you shut down. And then you wait for things to get better and you reopen. And we've seen restaurants do that for years. I mean, it's like it closes, it pops open again, new name, new menu. It's like, hey, you know, all I really need to do is hire some cooks and servers. I got the tables. I'm back in business. There's no point right. in you staying around when there's no business. That being said, the number that I heard uh, recently was that in the U.S., 85,000 restaurants have gone mm -hmm. bankrupt. The question yep. to your point is, how many of them do that on a regular annual basis? Yeah, the American Restaurant Association has predicted that about 70% of those that went out of business will come back into being as the demand increases because what they noted that companies were doing is that when they knew they were going to be shut down for a period of time, Rather than mm -hmm. just see money go out the door, they shut down and said, we'll reopen when we are allowed to. And so the Restaurant Association is figuring that about three-quarters of them will come back probably in a different environment, different name, different focus, whatever. I think we'll now have, like, you know, the plague chain. It's like food you can eat through a mask, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> well, the problem, though, with restaurants is that they don't have people. They don't right. have servers. They don't have busboys. They don't have uh, kitchen staff. Everybody is thinking that this is the opportunity to change their career path, and that's a big problem. Yeah, it definitely is. Now, we saw with today's labor data 
that as we thought, this is going to be something that begins to become less of an issue as we go forward because we ended up with 934,000 new jobs, not because there were not jobs to be had before. It was just people had their benefits expire. We had one big bunch that expired at the end of this month. We'll have another that expires at the end of, well, the end of July. The next big expiration is the end of August. So a lot of those people who would be working in those jobs have basically said, look, I'll go back to work when the benefits run out. My benefits run out in a month. I'll go back and look for a job then. And most of the hiring entities are just kind of waiting it out, saying, okay, when they stop getting the government check, they're going to need something, and that's when they're going to come back to me and ask for a job. Sure. I mean, why do you want to work during the summer months? <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, why do you want to work at all? I mean, you you could just be an economist and be wrong all the time, and nobody cares. Um, so, well, you know, then you can become a meteorologist. Exactly. I keep waiting for someone to combine the two. You know, it's just like just you know you're going to have a storm front coming through this afternoon, and the GDP will decline. I mean, it's just. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I sort of intellectually combined the two. <laughs> You're not alone. Um, we I'm are, sure, we are I'm definitely sure kindred spirits. Yeah, I mean, it's it's <laughs> it's a little known fact that the departments in most universities are right next to each other. Um, so. Ah. so, Chris, uh, looking for the dark cloud in the silver lining, over the next quarter or so, with inflation looming and COVID Delta coming to visit, is this growth going to continue, or are we kind of concerned that it could hit a tipping point and drop off? Yeah, I think it's, it's coming to the end of its boom period. I mean, we were we were looking at growth in the second quarter originally. We thought it would be around 9%, ended up being about 6.5. So we're already beginning to see a little bit of a decline. It's not going to go into another recession, but it goes back to normal, which is 2.5%, 3%, maybe 3.5% growth. Part of the conversation for a lot of businesses now is they have two really bad choices. They can either react to all of this demand and frantically try to bring up their capacity and buy machines and buy capacity and hire people all at the same time realizing that this is an expensive time to do that, or they can stand pat and just say, look, I know I'm going to disappoint customers. I don't have any choice. I don't have the capacity. I know they're going to look for alternatives. I'm just going to leave money on the table for the time being. If the demand falls off, which we think it will, that latter approach makes the most sense because you end up not expending a lot of money trying to meet demand that isn't going to last very long. It's very frustrating in the short term because you know your customers are mad. You know they're looking for alternatives. You know you can't help them, but you're looking at them saying, guys, realistically, this demand is going to fall off, and I can't beef up for something that isn't going to last. So if we look well, at the fabricated metals and machinery building sectors, Chris, which have not recovered at quite the speed of some of the other sectors in manufacturing, are they also going to be pretty cheapened because these manufacturers are, in fact, delaying the purchase of machinery? 
Yeah, they're going to be hit by it again, depending on the sector that they're that they're running into. Like fab metals is a great example of one that is very sector driven. If you've been selling into the appliance sector that is geared towards the home, you're doing pretty well because people were investing a lot of money in, in new machines for their home, and, and people were focusing on the home. If, however, your focus was the restaurant trade and the institutional food trade. You've been in desperate straits because there hasn't been a lot of investment in that. If you've been focused on hospitality, you've been hurt. On the other hand, the fab metals that are pointing at recreational vehicles have been doing gangbusters. So it's one of the challenges for most manufacturers is that they're so dependent on what their customers are doing. You know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm supplying people with a basic product which could be going into a dozen different things and and I'm not sure what these other guys have in mind and it's and it's always trying to figure out what the what the end consumer is thinking and not having a lot of influence over that end consumer I'm making fabricated metal parts for institutional restaurants are people going to go back out to eat or not <laughs> it's like if they yeah. do yay people will buy the machines that I've been making the parts for. One of the uh, interesting sectors uh, that I've run across as of recent, uh, as a result of a close affiliation that we have with Heartland RV, is that their business sector, recreational vehicles and trailers and so on, is absolutely booming. People aren't Oh, my God, the numbers are staggering. It's the biggest boom that industry has ever seen. And it was one of those things where people wanted to travel. They wanted to vacation. All of the other options were really limited. You know, know, hotels weren't open and all this sort of stuff. Just in the very last couple of days, I've had some long trips to go give presentations. And I, I mean, it's like a convoy. It just, there'd be like 20 <laughs> or 30 or 40 moving down the road. And it's like, oh my God. I mean, it's either, either recreational vehicles are very popular or we suddenly have a gypsy problem. Um, I didn't know what it was, but it's, it's, it's been, it's been staggering. Used units were selling what new units were selling for a year ago. But, you know, not only that, these, uh, uh, these traveling homes, they're beautiful. Mm-hmm. Oh, the yeah. interiors are absolutely gorgeous. And now they absolutely. have these expanding uh, to the left, to the right. They, the ceilings rise. Uh, mm-hmm. Big picture windows. I mean, it's really amazing. Yeah, it's 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 been a, a booming environment and people... This was something that was kind of anticipated with the industry because they knew that the boomer was coming to a point in their life where, A, they have money, and, B, they're not as tied to a particular place as they once were. So I I know several people of that generation who are saying, look, I sold my house, I bought one of these very fancy units, and I just travel the country. My kids are spread all over the country, and now I can go visit them and not bug them. I got my own home. Right, that's exactly right. Uh, big, big, and these these trailers go for big money. No, it absolutely, and yeah. and it's even 
it's, it's even interesting watching some of the, the retailers have gotten extremely clever. I mean, Walmart basically advertises that if you're driving one of these things, you're more than welcome to park in their lot. And, oh, is that right? And, oh, yeah. I mean, they, they will send maps to people saying, here are the Walmarts in your area, and we encourage you to park your RV here because, really? gee, you're going to have to buy supplies and guess where you're going to buy them. Um, so, yeah, and it's, it's, I live very close to a NASCAR track, and whenever there's a race, I mean, there's got to be 100 million of these things show up and, and park all over the neighborhood <laughs> because that's how people follow the races. Yeah, it's amazing. So you, are you going to take up, uh, NASCAR, uh, visiting the tracks, uh, uh, I mean, no, I don't, I had, I, I don't think you're client. one of those. Yeah, we had a client that was a NASCAR sponsor, and I remember taking my wife to one of the races, and we were down in the pits, and it was all very exciting. About the 23rd or 24th lap, she asked me, have they started yet? <laughs> so so we're, 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 we're probably not, not big NASCAR types. <laughs> Well, one thing about NASCAR is that once the second or third or fourth round goes, you don't know who's in first. <laughs> That's for sure. No, That's you don't know sure. who's first. You don't know who's last. And it goes on for hours. And then you go home and you're deaf. Yeah, you, you well, particularly, if you're in the, particularly if you're in the pits because you can't really see what's going on at all. Um, but she did admit <laughs> that she really enjoyed the people watching down in the pits. So, uh-huh. okay. <laughs> All right, Timmy. Well, Chris, we're going to look forward to uh, Zoom working next month, so we can see <laughs> yeah. uh, each other. But we appreciate you joining us every time and sharing what's happening. So we'll see if we get headwinds over the next month as the Delta variant begins to rear its ugly head and whether or not we can get ahead of it with vaccines. Hopefully the economy will continue to turn along, but you'll have a better idea when you report back into us in September. Exactly, because you know that the, the mantra of an economist is that we are extremely good at predicting the past. Um, so we'll, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Uh, so in, in September, great. we will review your March 2021 report. It should be great. <laughs> exactly. Actually, I was thinking more and go back to like 2018. I'm pretty confident about what I know about 2018. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. This is great. That's great. Thank you, Chris. You're always You're welcome. welcome here. And, and I know that our audience uh, loves listening to your uh, banter and humor. Very good. And they don't need to see me anyway. I have a face for radio, and I've always known that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Talk to you guys next month. Very good. And as always, we appreciate all of our listeners to Manufacturing Talk Radio. While you may or may not find this one on YouTube, you'll certainly find it on all of your podcast listening platforms. And you can connect with us at jacketmediaco.com. Once again, thanks for listening to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.